Our lesson today comes from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And if you would, stand with me this morning as we read from Holy Scripture. Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So nearly 500 years after the time of Jesus, Christianity had gone from being on the fringe. Christians had gone from being greatly persecuted. They had gone from being martyred for their faith to suddenly Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. Christian churches, starting in the 300s, had replaced pagan temples. And by the 500s, much of society was connected to the church, but yet at the same time was thoroughly secular. In many ways, it was a time that's very much like our own here in Shreveport. Because here in Shreveport, we have this, this interesting Christian culture where you have like half a million people that live in this general area between Shreveport and Bossier. And yet, you can count on one hand just about the number of churches in our area that like consistently have over a thousand people on the weekends. So, so just do the math in your head. You may think, man, there are churches everywhere around here. But yet there's this really interesting statistic about shreveport Bossier. We actually have the highest per capita number of churches with fewer than 100 people. So there are tons of churches around here, but most of them kind of look like this. Most of them are fairly small in number. Um, most of them are, I mean, they really are not just like real deal mega churches around here. And yet, it seems like everybody goes to church, doesn't it? Like, it seems like everybody has some kind of a connection to the church. And it's because our culture is very similar to the culture that was in existence 500 years after the time of Jesus. Everybody has some sense of connection to the church. Many people would say, oh yeah, I go to that church, or yeah, 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 that's where I grew up, or yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. But yet, when you actually start looking at things, most people are not really like hardcore followers of Jesus. I have some kind of religiosity, but in my day-to-day -day life, it doesn't have much impact. And in my day-to-day -day life, I'm really not asking, who is Jesus and, and who would Jesus have me be, right? How would Jesus have me follow him? There was a guy that emerged during this time period, and his name was Benedict, uh, Benedict of Nursia. And he left a life of privilege, a life of wealth, to move to Rome and to become a student of rhetoric. But it turned out he wasn't really happy in Rome either. He wanted to follow God with his life, and he's studying, and, and yet his fellow students are primarily interested in just kind of like, you know, doing the study thing, but then just doing the drunken party thing. And so he, he did what any normal person would do. He left Rome 
and moved into a cave and became a hermit. It wasn't even a nice cave, y'all. Like it was, this, it was like 10 feet deep, this cave. You can go see it even today in Italy. So he moves into this cave and he becomes a hermit. And he goes on to write what is known as the Rule of St. Benedict, which was essentially a guide for Christian life. And it just so happened at the time, there was a growing trend in the Christian world that was really a response to the secularization of culture. And that was uh, a rise in monasticism. There were monasteries that were popping up all around. And one of the funny stories about St. Benedict is uh, there was a monastery that was very near to the cave that he was living in, uh, in a place called Subiaco. And that monastery had lost their abbot, who was kind of the head monk. And so they go to Benedict, who's living in this cave, and they say, hey, we want you to come be our abbot. We want you to come kind of lead us and guide us and be our spiritual father. And so he somewhat reluctantly agrees to do this. And he comes and he is just like incredibly strict with these monks to the point where, I love this, they try to poison him. Like he's just so hardcore about his way of doing things. He's so hardcore about following Jesus that even these monks, even these guys who have you know, given themselves over to lives of celibacy, have given themselves over to like live in this intentional community with other guys, they can't even take it. They try to kill him. Uh, so he escapes. He doesn't, he doesn't die. He escapes with his life. He goes on to chill out a little bit and winds up founding at least 12 other monasteries around Italy. I bring him up today because... In many ways, he rediscovered something that was significant and is significant to the Christian life. And that is the centrality of prayer. Like a key element of what's known as the rule of St. Benedict is that it revolves around prayer. That prayer is not, as I said earlier, this thing you just lay on top of your life or this thing you add to your life, but that prayer actually serves as kind of this central engine of the Christian life. Last week, we talked about the importance of being obedient to Jesus as an act of worship, right? That's a good, like, that seems like a good thing and normal thing that churches should be talking about, that we would be obedient to Jesus, but we do it as an act of worship. Like, we are obedient to him because of what he has done for us through Christ. He has been faithful to us, and so our response to him is that we want to worship him through not just singing some songs and not even through just praying, but through worshiping and being obedient. We also considered the fact that throughout the Bible, we see like physical postures of worship, whether it's raising your hands or kneeling or like bowing one's head. I read several scriptures last week in which we saw those physical postures in practice, but we didn't really get time to delve into something that's also central in most of those passages I read, which is that when people are bowing their heads or when people are kneeling or when people are raising their hands in worship, what they're really doing is praying. What they're really doing is talking to God. They're having conversation with God. In today's text, Jesus is primarily seeking to convey to his followers not only the importance of prayer, but the necessity of prayer. Like that this is key, the reality that God desires his people to call out to him in prayer, even though he knows everything. So, so here's what's fascinating to me. Like truly trusting the Lord, here, here, here's what it looks like. Even though he knows everything you need, 
And even though you might be tempted to go, man, I trust God. He knows everything I need. I don't have to bring stuff to him. He's just going to provide it. What Jesus lays out for us is that really trusting him looks like knowing that he knows everything, knowing that he knows what you need, but still like consistently and repeatedly coming before him and laying those things in front of him and crying out to him. It's not going, oh, he knows. He's going to do it. I trust him. It's going, I trust him. I know he knows. And I'm also going to come just prostrate myself before him and say, Father, here's what I need. Isn't that fascinating? So Jesus lays out the necessity of prayer. And I just throw out to you guys this morning that if you want a barometer for like where you're really at spiritually, then just take a look at your prayer life. If you want a barometer for where you're really at spiritually, just take a look at your prayer life because prayer is one of the most supernatural things that we can do. Yet many of us, if not most of us, we simply don't do it with any regularity or any kind of intentionality or any kind of consistency. Um, There's a guy named Paul Miller that wrote a great book called A Praying Life, and he says, if you are not praying, if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy, but if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to pray. So when you examine your prayer life, it says a lot about what you really think about God, about what you really believe about Him, and if you're not praying then are you really quietly confident that, that you are enough? If you're not praying, are you really quietly confident that just time and, and money and talent and, and gifting and resources and all of these education, make your list, that all of those things are actually going to be enough for you? You see, there's this astounding thing about Jesus. He is God. And yet, he spent intentional time in prayer. Notice in that quote, he said, if like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own. There are all of these examples in the scriptures where Jesus is withdrawing and praying. Luke 5.16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Matthew 14.23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. Mark 1.35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away way to a secluded place and was praying there. So Jesus is God, and yet praying to the Father is like a central engine of his life. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And the way that he's making that connection with the Father is not just through some like, you know, like supernatural thing that we, that we can't even begin to understand. He's doing it through prayer. He's modeling prayer in front of his disciples. And and that's just a sampling of the verses we find in Scripture where Jesus is praying. You may remember on the night that Jesus was arrested, he and the disciples go away to pray. And and Jesus returns and, like, finds them sleeping. He goes, you can't even pray for one hour? And, And even on the cross, Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, this is Jesus 
praying even though he is God. He is bringing petitions before the Father. So isn't that fascinating? So Paul Miller's point is that if, if you are not praying, then you are inadvertently saying, I'm better than Jesus. Like, if you are not praying, then you are inadvertently saying, I, I don't need God's help. I've got this. I know what to do. I'm in control. What St. Benedict came to realize, which many people have come to realize before him, was that if we are going to live in this broken world as God's people and not lose heart and not give up, then we have to pray. If we are not only going to be God's people, but also do the things that God has for us to do, we have to pray. The parable of the persistent widow that we read basically says, look, if even an unrighteous, ungodly judge, if even that guy is ultimately going to give justice to someone because they constantly bring their needs before him, how much more and how much more quickly do you think our Father in heaven will answer the prayers of his people? It's very similar to Jesus' argument with why we shouldn't worry, right? He goes, look at the flowers, look at the birds, look at how beautiful the flowers are, look at how God takes care of the birds, and, and, and when it comes to the flowers, that stuff's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire tomorrow. Like, so, so if God's willing to take care of that in such a lavish way, why are you worried about whether or not he's going to take care of you? So if God's going to use even an unrighteous, ungodly man to respond to the needs of this widow, then what's going to happen when you bring your petitions before him? Not once, not twice, but repeatedly. What's going to happen when you are constantly coming before him and bringing those things? So Benedict came to realize that, no, 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 this isn't just an add-on to our life in Christ. This is like what's fueling our life in Christ. Is that we've been given this incredible privilege to come before God and to bring our needs and to bring our concerns and to bring our worries and, and to bring our lament as well. The, the Psalms are like the original prayer book. Um, and one of the key things that we find in the Psalms that we, we just don't hear in the church today is lament which is ultimately often King David coming before God and saying, God, where are you? Like, you might pray this way at times in your life, but when do you hear people praying like this in the church? Even though we may feel this way, we feel like we have to put on some kind of a facade, that we can't speak to God honestly, but yet he knows what's in your heart. Like, God, what are you doing? I mean, we read through the Psalms and we find David. At one time, David was on the run for his life from King Saul. And so he's hiding out in caves. <laughs> he's, he's out in the wilderness. He, he thinks he's going to be killed, right? He's going, God, like, what is the deal? Like, I, I feel like I've done everything you want me to do. I feel like I'm keeping your statutes, right? I, I'm trying. I may not be perfect, but I'm trying. Like, why? Have you abandoned me? Where are you? Don't you see my grief? Like, don't you see the just junk that I'm having to go through right now? So, so in some ways, it's expressing anger towards God. It's expressing doubt. It's expressing our worry and our fear and our concern. 
And, and so if you've, if you've bought into this notion that it's not okay to bring those things in front of him, then you've bought into a notion that's thoroughly unbiblical. Because it's one of the primary ways that we see people praying in the Old Testament. And God's big enough to handle those things. So this becomes a central engine for our life. How do we grow closer to him? We talk to him. And if you really believe that this stuff is true, then man, what an incredible privilege. If you actually believe that God is God and that he is the creator of all things, and yet he wants to know you and be known by you, and yet he wants you to come and bring your needs to him and the needs of others to him, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? I think there are two big reasons why we don't pray. First of all, many of us struggle to believe that prayer is real. We struggle to believe that prayer is real. So to full disclosure, this is a bucket that I would fall into. And, and I've talked about this before. We often say around here that we are all unbelievers. We're all unbelievers in some way. You, you may say, man, I believe, and yet there are areas of your life that you have not fully submitted to God. You may believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and that, that we can have salvation by placing our faith in him, but, but yet there are areas of our life where we display our unbelief. And one of those big areas is prayer. It's one of those areas that we have to submit to him and say, God, if you are God, if you are real, if this is true, then I've got, I've got to lay this at your feet. So we often say that we're all unbelievers in some way. None of us perfectly believe in Jesus 100% of the time. None of us are capable of that 100% of the time. However, there will come a day when that will be true of us. However, the life of a follower of Christ is all about identifying and turning over those areas of unbelief. It's all about identifying those areas of unbelief in our heart and submitting them to God. And as I said earlier, prayer is one of the most supernatural things we can do. So it's also one of the most unnatural things for many of us. And, and so this is evidenced whenever we encounter like a challenging season or a decision point in our life or like a crisis in our life. For many of us, the first response is not prayer. The first response often isn't prayer because we think that there are probably more effective things that we could do in the moment. Just being honest, that's, that's true for so many of us. Yet Jesus' counsel to his disciples is that challenge is coming, crisis is coming, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, all of these kinds of things. And he says, if you want to persevere, if you want to continue to like take heart in the midst of all of this, you have to pray. You have to consistently pray. You have to repeatedly pray. The way that we overcome our lack of belief in prayer is by praying. It's by doing it. And this feeds into, I think, the second reason why many of us don't pray, and that is we have no habit of prayer. We have no habit of prayer. Have you ever noticed that you can go for days sometimes where the only time you really engage in actual prayer is around the dinner table? Is that like God is great, God is good type prayer? Why is that? It's because for many of us, it's a habit. It's a habit that your parents 
put into you. It, it, it feels like this is just what we do. It's not that we're just so like abundantly thankful for our food, right? More so than anything else. It's just we sat down and that's what happens at the beginning of the meal. It's because you've developed a habit of praying at that point in time. And um, this is what St. Benedict was getting at. That we have to intentionally move towards a way of life, not just where we pray more, but where prayer is the central engine. But again, he didn't come up with that idea. It goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to the Psalms, as we've already mentioned. It goes back to that original prayer book. The, the Psalms speak of prayer in the morning. Uh, it speaks of prayer in the early hours of the day. It speaks of prayer in the evening. It talks about praying day and night. Psalm 119, verse 164 says, seven times a day I praise you. So, so Benedict took that verse, seven times a day I praise you, and he came up with his own schedule of praying seven times a day, seven set times of prayer. Scripture also mentions praying three times a day in the Psalms and in the book of Daniel. Uh, these set times of prayer were a part of Jewish life, and, and they were adopted by the early Christians. So in the book of Acts, we see the early church, just right after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, we see the early church devoting themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers. We see Peter going to the temple at the hour of prayer. This is after Jesus has come back. This is after Pentecost. We see Peter continuing to follow these set times of prayer that have been ingrained in him. So chances are you struggle with both of those things on some level, more than likely. Actually believing prayer is real and having actual habits of prayer, more than likely both of those things are an issue for you. But the solution is to pray. Like, the solution is to pray. And yet that's also our struggle. So in these last few minutes, I just want to suggest a few things that I think we should consider. First of all, we should each have at least one intentional scheduled time daily where we pray. You should seek to like carve that time out to make it like, like a non-negotiable part of your day. And, and maybe it starts as one time and, and it becomes twice, it becomes three times a day over time, but, but let's just start with one. If, if there is no time of prayer in your life, then let's begin there. What is that time of day that you can say, hey, that's the time, even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's five minutes, What's the one time when I'm, I'm putting it in my phone, y'all, like the alarm's going to go off, it's time. What is that time for you? Start with one and just resolve that I'm going to be disciplined about this. Next, I would suggest making three things a part of that prayer time. Three things that I think should be a part of your prayer time. You may think, well, isn't it just about prayer? Yes, absolutely. But I think there are some things that can help you. Because if it's just like spontaneous, extemporaneous prayer, um, that can become challenging. Like that can, that can become empty sometimes. And so we have to have some things that guide us because this is a discipline, right? This is a discipline. You're not always going to feel like, man, I've just got a lot of stuff here that I need to, you know, bring before the Lord, or, man, I, I, I like, I, I've got to get this stuff off my heart. 
Sometimes it's going to be challenging. Sometimes it's going to feel dry and empty. You're going to feel like, man, I don't have anything. So three things I would throw out there. First of all, in your prayer time, read a psalm. So, so like actually take one of the psalms and read it or, or like meditatively pray through it. It'll, it'll kind of serve as a guide for you. And one of the beautiful things that the psalms do is they help us learn how to pray, right? Reading other people's prayers help us learn how to pray. So do that. Secondly, say the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer during your prayer time. Now, some people would say, hey, the Lord's Prayer is just meant to be a model for prayer. Um, it's, it's not actually something that we're supposed to pray verbatim. And I would say both things are true. I, I think it is supposed to be a model for prayer. I think our prayer should include praise to God. Like, just think through the Lord's Prayer and all of the components of it. We, we begin by praising God, Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, what do we want? We want your kingdom to come, right? We want sin to be gone. We want the brokenness of our world to be gone. We want death and, and disease to be gone. We don't want children to die. We don't want people to die of cancer. We want all of those things to be gone. We want your kingdom to come here on earth in the same way that it is in heaven. So, so just walk through that prayer, man, and pray that, pray that yourself. Put it in your own words, but pray the Lord's Prayer as a model for prayer. And, and, and then finally, pray extemporaneously. Man, what are the needs in your life? What, what are the things that you want to bring before the Lord? What are the needs of other people in your life? How are you praying for those around you? How are you praying for your neighbors? How are you praying for your spouse and your children, your friends? So we're setting a time every day, and we're going to read a psalm, we're going to pray through that psalm, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to pray extemporaneously. Just those three little components, just allow that to kind of guide your time with the Lord. And then as you like get used to that, then you can add, maybe you do it in the morning, maybe you add bedtime, right? Maybe you, maybe you add lunchtime to that mix. And, and then maybe you start adding over time other elements into that, like journaling, right? Um, actually keeping track of your prayers. That's, a, that's an incredible thing that will build your faith. Keep track of your prayers and then actually go back and note when God has answered those prayers. So I would suggest making those three things a part of your prayer time. And then finally, I would just say have grace for yourself. Like, so I, I personally, I try to have four times of prayer every day. Morning, um, lunchtime, at the end of the workday, and before bed. And let me tell you, most days, I don't have four times of prayer. It, it's my goal. It's what I want to have happen. Most days, the morning one happens for sure. The lunchtime one normally happens. And then the other two may fall by the wayside, like because I come home and we've got four kids, <laughs> right? So that's you too. Your life is busy. There's stuff going on. Things are different from day to day. So have grace for yourself. Um, as you read the book of Acts, which is the book that really kind of describes the birth of the early church, one of the things that you notice is that prayer was not only a central part of their lives, it was not only a priority for them, but prayer always preceded these incredible movements of God. Prayer always preceded incredible movements of God. So I'm going to end by saying this. Prayer is not just for you. It's not just for you to like get what you want out of God. Prayer is also for other people. 
Prayer is also for the church. And, and so there's this very real picture that we see in the New Testament of the church coming together and praying corporately. Prayer is not just this secret thing that you go do in the closet at your house. It is also this thing that we do together, that we come together and cry out to God. Um, we should be praying together. And I, and I think that we could greatly, as a church, I think we could greatly increase our intentionality quotient when it comes to praying together. Um, so here's what I want to do. Uh, here are three things that I want all of us to be praying about together. Three things that I want us to be praying about together as a church. One, that we will see people come to know Christ through the ministry of our church. Um, We have not seen that happen yet. We're a new church. This is only our third Sunday morning to be gathering. I want one of the primary prayers of our heart to see people come to know Christ through the ministry of our church. And, And that means through you right? Through your interaction with people in your everyday life, through you modeling what the Christ life looks like in front of other people, through you sharing the gospel with other people. Guys, our prayer is that we would see baptisms happening in the life of our church and that we would see adults being baptized, right? Not just, not just kids, even though that's beautiful, but that we would see adults going, you know what? I'm a follower of Christ. And, and I, up until this point, I've never really given him my life. Like, I've given him my lip service, I've gone to church, but man, I've never said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to quit trying to lay this religion stuff on top of my life, I'm actually going to turn over the whole of my life to him and follow him. Man, that's, that's the stuff I want to see, y'all. I think that's the kind of stuff Jesus wants to see out of our lives, the fruit that's coming out of our lives, out of the ministry of our church. Would you pray about that with me? Secondly, um, I want us to pray that God will provide everything that we need financially as a church. Now, sometimes folks feel like it's not cool to talk about money at church, but yet Jesus talks about it almost more than anything. And um, the way that we give and the way that we call other people to give says a lot about what we believe about God. Um, So this is one of those things. I I have full trust that God's going to provide everything that we need financially, and he's done so up to this point, right? But we're not just going to sit back and go, God, we know you got this. No, no, no. We're going to continue to bring that before him, and we're going to be consistent in coming before him and say, God, will you provide everything that's needed so that we can do ministry as a church in the way that you have called us to? Would you join me in praying for that as well? And and then finally, I want us to pray that we would see disciples, like actual followers of Jesus, raised up within our body, and that those people would begin also making disciples in their lives, that we would see like kind of this family tree type thing going on, right? Or we see people growing up into Christ and we see them pouring into other people as well. Um, so with that in mind, I'd like for us to take just a moment right now and pray for those three things. So let me remind you real quick that we would see people come to know Christ, that we see baptisms through the ministry of our church. Secondly, that God would provide everything that's needed financially for our church. And then three, that we would see disciples raised up who start making disciples, who start pouring into the lives of other people. And, and if you're able this morning, here's what I want to do. We've been talking a lot about postures of prayer and postures of worship. Could we take just a few moments, if you're able, would you kneel with me where you are as we come before the Lord this morning? Let's just take a few moments where you are and lift up those three things and anything else that's on your heart, just in silence. And then I will close us.